This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. This has been amazing. We have seen through just a simple genealogy, God being at work in mankind. We have seen the king be prophetically fulfilled. We've seen the king be born. The king be heralded. The king has been anointed. The king has flexed his authority. The king has established his law. And tonight we're going to look how the king sends out emissaries in his name and under his authority. In Matthew, Jesus tells a really shocking parable. And it goes something like this. That a man who owned a vineyard, well, he didn't own it. He bought the property. And he grew the grapes himself. And he set up a tower. And he built the fence around it. He established this vineyard as his own. And then he hired vine dressers to come and take care of it. And he needed to go out of town. And while he was out of town, he checked out the calendar, and it was the time for a harvest. So he sent several of his servants back to his vineyard to claim some of the the fruit, the grapes that belonged to him. And those that were tending the vineyard saw the servants, and they got together, and they whispered to each other. They said, man, the master is gone. If we do away with these servants then we get to keep everything for ourselves. So when the servants arrive, they kill one, they stone another, and they beat another. And word gets back to the master, and the master is like, this is mine. What are they doing to my people, my servants? So he sends more servants, and they abuse them just the same as the first. So the master says to himself, surely they would respect my son, the heir of the vineyard itself. So he sends his son, and they get together, and they see him afar off, and they whisper again. All we have to do is kill the son, and there is no heir but us. And so when the son arrives, they rise up against him, and they murder his son. And Jesus closes this parable with the question, What do you think the master is going to do when he returns? And he lets... The the listeners answer. They say, he's going to put them to death. He's going to punish them strictly, severely, brutally. They've stolen what is his. They've, They've attacked his servants. They've murdered his son. This is a shocking story, especially when you realize that Jesus is applying the story to the people who hear him. In case you haven't caught up with me, he's applying the story to us. And guess what? We're not the servants on behalf of the master. And we're also certainly not the master himself. Jesus has painted a picture of his creation in rebellion against him, and it's not a pretty picture. It's actually pretty ugly. It's shocking. And it can be summed up with one of our verses tonight, Matthew 10, verse 40. Jesus is speaking to his apostles and he says simply this, whoever receives you 
receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. These servants were not received by the vine dressers. The son was not received by the vine dressers. We're going to be going through the second half of Matthew 9 in the chapter of Matthew 10 tonight. And we're going to have to skim through some of it kind of quickly to get to some of the big points. But I do want to give you some of the context. It begins with Jesus functioning in full swing in his ministry. He is going from city to city. And he gets to every city and he proclaims his message. And it's a simple message. The kingdom of God is here. It's the same message he's been preaching since the beginning. It was John the Baptist's message. This has been consistently the message. The kingdom of God is here, and he's healing every disease and every affliction. And when he looks out at the crowds, because he's doing these miracles, and people start coming out for just to see the, magnet, the magic show. They just want to come and see somebody get healed, or maybe be healed themselves. And so crowds are packing in around Jesus. Verse 36 of Matthew 9, when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them. Compassion means that his emotions stirred him to his very innermost being. He was moved with love for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, looking out at these crowds. Most of them are just here to see the show. To get whatever they can from Jesus. So he says to his disciples... The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He's looking out at these crowds and he's saying, there are many, many, many here. And in the nearby cities, in the nearby towns, and they're ready to receive the gospel. They're ready to receive a very difficult message. The difficult message that we are those vine keepers. We are the tenants. We were the ones in rebellion against the master. And as hard as that message is, Jesus is saying there are many ready to repent. But the laborers are few. Just in short, what is that gospel that Jesus is talking about? The gospel is, if I can use some nautical terms, the gospel is that we had a captain. And we mutinied against the captain. But it wasn't mutiny like, eh, I don't really like this captain guy. Maybe we should do something different. No, it's mutiny as in we were hateful and spiteful. And we wanted to not just dethrone the captain. We wanted to kill him and throw him overboard. We had an authority in our lives. And we chose ourselves to be our authority, to be our own captain. We were those tenants. We were the vine dressers. And yet Jesus looks out at you and me, and had compassion. He had love for the very people who were against him. That's crazy. Who is like our God who would love the very people that have thrown him off, that are only choosing themselves? Jesus looks out at these people and he knows their names. He knows their personalities. He knows their upbringings, their sin. He knows their wounds. He knows the real reason that they're there. And he sees them with an individual love which only their creator could see. He even sees in the crowd faces that are painted with curiosity that in the days to come will be red with anger as they cry out, crucify him. 
Some of those faces are in the crowd. And he looks at them with compassion. Who is this Jesus? He sees them with love. Romans 5.8 says that before we ever loved him, when we were still in our rebellion, he loved us. For God so loved that he gave his son. Charles Spurgeon believed that Jesus, whenever he gives the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28, that he says, begin in Jerusalem and work your way out. Because Spurgeon believed that Jesus knew the people in Jerusalem that had yelled, crucify him, that had nailed him to the cross, that had lied against him in court, that were still yet to be saved. There's reason to believe that. Think about Peter in Acts 2 in Jerusalem. We're only 50 days after Jesus died on the cross, and Peter looks out at the crowd, points at them, and says, it was you who crucified him on a tree. And thousands were saved. Jesus is saying, the very ones who called for my death, the very ones who were liars in court, the very soldiers who pierced me in the side, start with them. Remember the cross? Forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. This is the gospel. This is the love of our God. There's a beautiful painting. Is it in the slides up there, Noah? Look at this. Notice what's in his hands. Notice Jesus' compassion. And notice that both of this man's feet are bent so that he can't stand on his own at all. He is contributing nothing to being held up by Christ. It is Christ alone who is holding up the man with the hammer and nails. It is Christ alone that is holding him with the nail-scarred hands. This is the gospel. There are none of us who are born with a predilection to love Christ. All of us were born selfish in our sin. All of us picked ourselves as Lord and God first. And none of us could stand on our own two feet before a holy, perfect God and say we contributed anything. It was Jesus. And it was Jesus who reached out. You see, we are not whipped dogs that Jesus had compassion on. We were foaming at the mouth, angry, spiteful, homicidal Rebels. And yet, Jesus picked us. All of those who would call on him, Jesus loved you and chose you first. What a beautiful gospel. We're all alike. Any one of us would have been in the same crowd yelling, crucify him. If we're very honest with ourselves and we really look inside, we know there's not many steps between us and someone who's pretty awful. We know the thoughts that cross our minds. We know the intentions of our hearts. And yet, Jesus loved us. And by the will of his good pleasure, he pulls back the veil so that we can see our sin and we can see a loving God who offers mercy so that all who would turn to him would be saved. And it's no coincidence that Jesus would say, the harvest is many and the laborers are few. And the very next verse is Jesus calling 12 out of this crowd of disciples to be his ambassadors, to be his harvesters. He calls Peter, Andrew, James, John, 
Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James the Younger, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. <laughs> Judas Iscariot, man. And then he calls them, and Matthew uses the word only once in his whole gospel. He calls them an apostle. An apostle simply means someone who is sent. And that's what he's going to do with the twelve. The disciples are those who are following Jesus. The apostles are those who Jesus has. Check this out. Verse 10.1. He called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. This is the king bestowing the authority we studied last week. The king is bestowing his authority over these realms onto his ambassadors who are going out in the name of the king. And he sends them out into the nearby towns and the nearby cities, and he commissions them. The rubber is meeting the road. They are to go out and preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They're going to they're do miracles just like Jesus. And they're not supposed to take any preparations. Why? Why wouldn't Jesus tell them to bring tons of money and back up clothes and everything? Because their God is their provider. Because just like the children of Israel out in the wilderness, it would be God who would take care of his people. It would be God ordaining people in every town and every city who were going to care for his messengers. Check this out, Matthew 10, 14 through 15. And we begin to see the point of this whole section. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that town. As you leave the town, you don't even want the dust of that town left on your sandals. I almost said shoes, your Nikes. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Whoa. If they reject the messenger, they reject the message. If they reject the message, they reject the sender. This is, this is imagery. As they clap their sandals against the city in the sight of everyone who rejected them, it is symbolic that God himself is shaking off these people from himself. This is symbolic. God's like, don't even have anything to do with them. That is powerful. But if you accept the messenger, you accept the message you accept the sender. A rejection of the messenger is a rejection of the sender. And yet many, many need the gospel. Then Jesus moves into the section. So section number one is many need the gospel. Section number two is that the gospel will meet resistance. Persecution, oppression. It's going to meet resistance. The gospel does not do well among people who want to serve themselves. It does not do well with people that are blinded by the God of this world, the devil, little g. That's 2 Corinthians 4. They're blinded by the God of the world, so they do not recognize Christ. They don't hear truth. They don't want a gospel that says that we are evil and that it's only through God's love and our submission and repentance to him that we have salvation. No. I want to live my life for myself. Listen to some of the things that Jesus is saying the gospel will receive. Matthew 10, 16. I'm sending you out as sheep amidst wolves. Verse 17. They will deliver you over to courts and whip you. 
Verse 18, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death. Fathers, their sons. Sons, their fathers. This is going to create contention within homes. Verse 22, you will be hated for my namesake. And Jesus brings it all together in verse 25. And he says, if they hated me, there's no way you're going to get away from being hated. We bring a very flinchy gospel. You know what? Our church may not be bombed this Sunday morning in the middle of the sermon. You may not be woken up in the middle of the night tonight by a hand in your hair dragging you out by soldiers. You may not watch tomorrow as your mother is macheted to death. That may not be happening here. You may not be put into a steel shipping container with 20 other people so that the cold of the night It's freezing, but then during the heat of the day, the metal is burning your skin and there's no protection from the bugs and you have to lay down in your filth every night because there's no plumbing in your prison. That's not happening in the United States. But that is happening right now in Eritrea, in Somalia, in North Korea. That is a reality for them. For them, it is tonight that some people will be drug out of their beds. It will be tomorrow that some people see their family members macheted. There are people currently right now in shipping containers because of their faith. The gospel is offensive to darkness. Jesus made that plain. John 3.16, for God so loved the world... John 3.17, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. John 3.18, and here is condemnation. That light came into the world and they rejected it. They wanted their darkness. In 2015, 7,100 Christians were killed for their faith, which is twice as many as 2014 and three times as many as 2013. In 2016, 1,329 churches were attacked. 1,329 churches were attacked. In 2017, 215 million Christians across 53 countries were living under severe persecutions, and my examples are their reality. The scriptures that we're reading tonight about persecution coming, they mean a lot more to them than they do to us. We are crushed you know, we are pressed but not crushed. We're persecuted and abandoned. Those verses mean a lot more to those people right now in a shipping container than they do to us. We're just like, oh man, I had a bad day. I guess that's carrying my cross. I'm pressed but not crushed. I can make it. And yet there are people that are living like this because the gospel is offensive. There are many who need the gospel But the gospel will meet resistance. And I want you to remember this. Following Jesus is dangerous. But the only boundaries of what God can do through you are the boundaries that you set when you play it safe. You have a living God whose Holy Spirit is in you and he's calling you to be more than a casual Christian. And you will see fruit if you are willing to put yourself into his hands 
The third thing that we see is that receiving the messenger is receiving the sender. Matthew 10, 40. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. There is great reward to those who receive as messengers. Why do you think that those who receive his messengers are rewarded? What kind of rewards do you think they receive? Those who receive his messengers are receiving his message. Those who receive the message receive the sender. <laughs> John twelve forty nine, Jesus is speaking and he says, I'm not speaking on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. What's Jesus saying? He's the ultimate ambassador. Jesus is the messenger to us. He is the bridge. If God is transcendent, if he is all-powerful, if he is all-creator, he is spiritual and we are physical. He is infinite and we are finite. He is supernatural and we're stuck in the natural. And so if that is true, how on earth could we ever know him? Unless God breaks through into our realm so that he can be revealed to us. And Jesus is that breakthrough. He is the messenger. He is the word. He is that bridge between one and the other. John 5, 23, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life because Jesus is the messenger. And if God is the God of life, then Jesus is our ambassador between God and and life itself, and fallen man, just like that picture. He is truly our only hope. There's a beautiful story, and it's a simple story, not a real tearjerker. But in Bolivia, at the Foreign Affairs Office, a woman stood in line for help with a cooking pot and nothing else. And one of the American ambassadors saw her standing in line and she couldn't get through and she kept getting turned down by booth after booth after booth and she was persistent. And so finally he left his office and he went and talked to her and come to find out she had lived in this certain district that's full of businesses but they're all piled on top of each other and there had been a fire that swept through this district and she had had this stash of money underneath her mattress And her home was on top of her business. And when the fire came through, it burned down her home and her business. And all that she could salvage from this mattress was burned cash, which she had brought in a pot to the American embassy, hoping that they would honor her American dollar bills, which were burned and singed and mostly destroyed. And so the guy pulls her aside, and together they write a letter to the U.S. Treasury And it takes six months. After six months of waiting, after she came back again and again asking, how is it going? And he said, I'm just waiting. There's no word yet. After six months, they returned to her $17,000 of the money that she was owed. And I love how the article comes to a conclusion. It says this. This man, Pete Harding, was the bridge, the interpreter the sole point of intersection between two worlds. 
doing his best to bring them together to solve a problem. She didn't speak English. She's in Bolivia trying to reclaim her American money. And this guy was an interpreter and he was a bridge between two different worlds. And that's Jesus. He came to interpret the Father for us. He stands as our representative before God. He is the bridge. He is the link for us. To receive Jesus is to receive the sender. And to reject Jesus is to reject the sender. So where do you stand? You cannot take the stand of universalism. Universalism says that everyone eventually is going to be saved. You can't take that stand if you stand for Jesus because Jesus is pretty clear. Jesus says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me exclusively. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, from now, you do not You do know him and have seen him because Jesus represents the Father. You can't take a universalistic view. You also can't take the way of pluralism, which says that all religions are valid, depending on how sincere you are. They all carry the same weight, not with claims that Jesus makes. So where do other world religions place Jesus? Judaism believes that Jesus was born of a girl named Mary. He was a popular rabbi. He had five disciples. He had supernatural powers from the devil. He claimed to be the Messiah. He was executed the day before Passover, and they believed his body was stolen by a gardener, but certainly not the Son of God. In Islam, he was born of a Virgin Mary. That's kind of cool that they believe that. He's held in high regard as a prophet and apostle of Allah, but he's nothing more. He did perform miracles. He even ascended to heaven without dying, but he did not die on a cross. And he is not God's son. And he does not esteem as high as Muhammad. In Hinduism, they respect him as a holy man, a wise teacher, a god along with every other god. In Buddhism, he was an enlightened man who lived an enlightened life. He was a wise teacher. The current Dalai Lama actually calls him a holy man. Certainly not God. The Mormons believe that he's God's first spirit child from a physical union between the spiritual God, and the human Mary. Satan is his brother, and we can all become gods just like him. Jehovah's Witness, Jesus is the archangel Michael, who was the first person created, who stopped being Michael when he took human form. He was a perfect human, and after he died and resurrected, God disposed of his earthly body, and he became Michael again. It seems like all these major religions have to admit that there was a Jesus, If you go back to our last series, you can't really deny the historical person of Jesus. He is like more documented than almost anybody else on the planet. But they don't know what to do with him. Because as soon as they esteem him as God, as God's son, it forces us to come to a fork in the road. It forces us to consider implications. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Please pay attention while I'm reading this. C.S. Lewis says, in Mere Christianity, beautiful book, go read it. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. 
I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would rather be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg. Or else, he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us, and he did not intend to. Jesus was far too divisive, and he said way too many outlandish things for us to ever just box him in with a really nice guy who says that we should be loving and tolerant, because Jesus was not tolerant. He was loving in his decisive, objective, offensive truth, which he brought with love, and was rejected often. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love what Kevin DeYoung says, and he says this. All paths lead to God, but only one path will present you before God without fault and with great joy. Pick a path, any path, it will take you to God. Trust me, you will stand before him one day. You will meet your maker. You will see the face of Christ. There are many ways up the mountain, but only one will result in life instead of destruction. There are many who need the gospel. The gospel will meet resistance. But receiving Jesus is receiving the Father, entering the kingdom, and having eternal life. So who is Jesus to you? Think hard about it. If he's a wise teacher, if he's an enlightened man, if he's a preacher of love and tolerance, then you have no responsibility to him. If he was a raving lunatic with delusions of grandeur or some sort of evil manipulator of people who's just out for his own gain, you have no responsibility. You can take it and leave it as just a historical figure. You can continue as you are. But if there's a chance that he's actually God's son, God in flesh, you have a crisis to deal with because there are implications that there is a creator and a creator who is king and a king who implements his law according to his standards. And we we stand in complete defiance of that law. Who is Jesus to you? If he's your ambassador and he stands in the doorway with outstretched arms, Offering mercy to come to the kingdom of heaven. And if Jesus is your judge, he's something else entirely. We have to wrestle with these questions. We have to have these settled. Elevate, settle this now of who you believe Jesus is. Because you will come to a day when everything you believe will be challenged. You will not be under mommy and daddy anymore. You will not have your Jesus bubble. You won't have Elevate anymore. Settle it now. Who is Jesus to you? 
If you call yourself a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, if you love him, make the decision hard in your mind now who he is to you, because that will all be challenged. You will stand in opposition to a very real, very resistant world. And if you have not come there yet, if you're just chilling, hanging back, I'm going to wait and see how life works out, you still need to come to an understanding of who Jesus is. Write him off as a lunatic. Write him off as a moral teacher. But you're at risk, and it's scary. Jesus said way too many difficult things to write him off. If you want to study this out a little bit further about this whole disciple-apostle thing, go check it out. Are there still apostles today, or was the role of apostle exclusively for those he called? Go check it out. Have fun with that. Recap. In Matthew 9 and 10, King Jesus is preparing and sending out ambassadors called apostles. Jesus' love compels his mission to call his people to his kingdom. We see Matthew's three major points around this gospel proclamation. Many need the gospel. The gospel will receive resistance. And to receive Jesus is to receive the Father and have salvation. And all of us have to consider the implications if Jesus is God's son. So I've got three challenges for you tonight. The first one is simple. Go read Matthew 9 and 10. Enjoy it. Savor it. There's so much I can't cover. But it's good stuff. Challenge number two. Ask yourself, what is one area that you have withheld from submitting to Jesus? It's really easy to find that area because it's the area you really don't want to invite Jesus to. Lord, you can have all my life, but this one part over here, this is kind of mine, so, you know, I'll be back later. Gonna hang out here, you know. What's that one area? And how can you begin to give a small part of that to him this week? And the third challenge, because for all, most, if not all of us, media is one of the things that we rarely invite Jesus into and we rarely use to glorify him. So here's my challenge. We're going to start small. I challenge you to take 30, 40 minutes that you would have spent on YouTube or something like that and watch like a sermon on YouTube or something. Replace the 30, 40 minutes with something that is life-giving. That's it. Challenge one, two, three. Heavenly Father... Thank you, Lord, that you are gracious and kind, that you would love those who are against you. What kind of love is that? That you would love us yet while we were still sinners. Thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness, for your grace, for standing in the doorway with outstretched arms to offer mercy. Lord, I pray that those in here who follow you will solidify the foundation of who they believe you are once and for all tonight. And Lord, if there's anyone in here who is on the fence, Lord, I pray that you pick at their heart that they can't know peace until they know you. Don't let them go, Lord. And I pray that you direct them to people that can speak life into their lives. They can answer hard questions. That can love them with truth and compassion. Let us be ambassadors of compassion and truth. Not throwing out compassion for truth, nor throwing out truth under the guise of compassion. We love you, Lord, and we give you our lives. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. 
Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus. Jesus.